It is great to be with you today, um, and as we open our Bible, we will be opening to the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 12. As I introduce this sermon today, I want to think back to a time a little over a year ago. Um, I'm a big football fan, so I was watching the NFL playoffs, and uh, the Minnesota Vikings had some injury problems, and they ended up going with a backup quarterback partway through the season, and they had a miraculous last-second play to get to the NFC Championship game was ultimately won by the Philadelphia Eagles, but at the end of that game, Case Keenum, who was the quarterback of the Vikings, was asked how this uh, moment in time, this sports accomplishment, measured up in his life. And at that time, he could have said, well, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me, but instead he said these words. He said, this is probably the third best thing that ever happened in my life. The other two being the day I gave my life to Jesus Christ and the day that I married my wife. And I, when I heard that, I was like, he just said that on national television. And it went around the internet and I, I saw it again in my Facebook memories not too long ago and played it again and I was just so grateful that he took the opportunity to acknowledge that God gave him the opportunity that he did. Now I know that ultimately God does not care who wins or loses football games but I do believe that he puts us in places where we will be given a sphere of influence and if we use it properly, you will be glorified. And I feel like as we are moving into this sermon today, that this is the situation in which Peter finds himself. Last time we were together, we talked about how God used Peter and John to heal the lame man. He was someone that had been lame since his birth, even placed at the beautiful gate, Every day, that was his only livelihood. He asked alms of them, and they said, we don't have silver and gold, but we're going to give you what we do have, and in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And in verse 11, which is a precursor to our text today, it says, and as the lame man, which was healed, held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch which is Solomon, Solomon's greatly wondering. So these people are greatly wondering what happened to make this lame man who they never seen walk, who never had the opportunity to use healthy legs, now he's walking and leaping, probably running in short bursts, you know, really just testing out those legs, as I will someday. And so they're greatly wondering. And uh, Peter is a great example of 
what He will later write to us, which is to be ready always to give an answer to every man the reason of the hope that lies within you. 2 Peter 3.15 So, my message today is titled, Jesus is the Answer. Now, there's a lot of questions in the world today. Questions about who we are. Questions about how this earth came to be. Questions about what we should do in our society. How we should treat others. How we should treat the weakest and most vulnerable among us. And in the most simplistic way that I can say it, Jesus is the answer to all those questions. Jesus showed us how to live the life that we are supposed to live. So let's read from uh, Acts 3, 12-18. We're going to see Peter's response. Now again, Peter... Like the example I mentioned earlier, and the old Peter might have been tempted to do this, could have taken credit. He could have said, um, you know, it's great that you guys were here. Um, John and I are just grateful to be able to do this. But he didn't. Let's see what he did say. And when Peter saw it, he answered, Unto the people... Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man walk? Now we know enough about Peter to know that he wasn't holy in and of himself. I like Peter because like Peter, I often put my foot in my mouth. But like Peter, God does not give up on me. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His Son, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied Him in the presence of Pilate when He was determined to let Him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, which God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I want that through ignorance you did it, as did your rulers. But those things which God hath before, before hath showed you by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. So, he's talking to people that are at least somewhat familiar with the ancient prophecies. Remember Isaiah, Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus would suffer and die for us, prophesied this, that he was wounded for our transgressions, that he was bruised for our iniquities, that the Lord was pleased to bruise him. These are things that no doubt um, Peter 
is referring to. And he's talking about Jesus as the son of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And some people might say Jesus never claimed to be God, but I want to remind you that he said in John chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was being pursued to be arrested, they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth, and he said, I am, and they fell backwards. Because the power of the voice of God that they were hearing that day was the same power that said, let there be light. And there was. As we heard this morning, the creation could not help but come to existence because the power of God's voice said that it should. The story we referenced earlier today as well. The nobleman said, My child will die if you do not come. Jesus said, Go your way. The child will live. And at that immediate moment, the child lived. At that immediate moment, the child received strength. When Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, He touched her. And she received strength. And she rose out of the bed and she ministered to them and fed them. That is the power of the God with which we still today have to do. Once again, often, or I believe most of the time, when God heals somebody, the healing is to illustrate a far greater spiritual truth. And that's what Peter is starting to outline here. He said, you killed the Prince of Life, but God raised him from the dead, and we're witnesses. Peter says, I'm not saying this because of hearsay. I'm saying this because I saw it. I'm saying this because I sat on the shores of Galilee and Jesus said to me, Do you love me? And I said, Yes. And then he said, Feed my sheep. So that's what I'm doing. And then he said, And his name through faith in his name have made this man strong, whom you see and know, yea, the faith which is by him given, which is, which is by him, hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. You know, a lot of people say, God bless you. Even the most godless among our leaders in our nation today will end speeches often by saying, God bless America. America and the devil don't care if you say, God bless you. But they hate the name of Jesus. Someone uses the name of Jesus for other than a curse word. People get up in arms about it. 
Because it's the name of Jesus that gives power. The name of Jesus that makes the difference. Talk about, I know of a name, a beautiful name that angels brought down to earth. And we read in Philippians that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the power of the name which we have to do. The demons know. How often in the Gospels did they say to Jesus, What have we to do, thou Jesus? Son of God, have you come to torment us before the time? Why did they say that? Because they knew that Jesus had power over their destinies. That's why they said, don't cast us into the abyss where we know we'll eventually end up. Cast us into that herd of swine. Because being in a pig was better than being in the abyss. And these demons knew that. And Peter says, And now, brethren, I want that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before hath shown by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Remember, Paul said, I had a similar testimony. He said, I through ignorance blasphemed the Lord. But when the Lord made himself real to me, I turned my life over to him and he counted and the Lord was faithful putting me in the ministry. Paul doesn't talk about his own faithfulness. He talks about the faithfulness of God. And Peter says, but those things which God had before showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Peter says, God keeps his promise. He told me three times that he would rise again. I didn't believe him, but I'm a witness to the fact that he kept his promise. And that's, that's what I am too. I, I can't prove God's existence through the way that the world wants proof. Jesus isn't going to physically materialize here just because I want him to prove his existence. But I know that he works in my life. I know that he's changed my life. I know that he's taken away the bitterness that used to uh, characterize my life and placed in its place a joy that is unexplainable. A peace that passes all understanding. And only he could. As the hymn says, you ask me how I know he lives. 
He lives within my heart. He said that He would not leave us comfortless, but that He would leave us a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who would guide us into all truth. And so He has. We look at a cross-reverence of another man that had a chance to take credit for a miraculous action and chose not to. Daniel chapter 2, verse 27 to 30. Daniel 2, 27 to 30. If someone could read it when they get there, that would be very helpful. So we see that there was at least three times, I think, when Daniel said, it's not me. But there is a God in Israel who reveals secrets. A God in heaven, excuse me. There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. So Daniel, being the wise man that he was. Because, remember, when he realized that the wise men were going to lose their heads, he spent time in prayer. He said, give me time to seek the Lord for this answer. And he and his friends, they spent time in prayer. And God revealed the answer. And Daniel said, hey, it's God that's giving you the answer. There's nothing in me that could have given the answer. And I think of the quote by Billy Graham who said, when someone shows courage, spines around them are stiffened. I think about the fact that Daniel showed courage in this case. And I wonder if as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were standing up by that golden statue if they were thinking about the fact that Daniel had shown courage in this situation, if they were remembering back to the way God had answered prayer in that situation, and when they said to Nebuchadnezzar, God can deliver us from the fiery flame of the furnace, but even if He does not, we will not bow down and worship the golden idol that you have set up. So it's not just about our personal growth, about our personal testimony. But when we share our personal testimony with others, 
they can be moved to make a personal decision for Christ in their own lives. And I think a lot of times when we talk about sharing the gospel, we make a list of all the right scriptures and we, we think that if we deliver all the right scriptures, then it will go all right. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need to be scripturally and doctrinally correct. But there's nothing more powerful than a story of a changed life. Than telling, telling someone, this is where I was when Jesus found me. And this is where I am now because of His wonderful grace. We use the word miracle a lot in our culture today. Um, Al Michaels famously said when uh, U.S. hockey team beat the USSR in 1980, he said, do you believe in miracles? And his immediate response was yes, because it was like a 8-1 to one or greater odds that we would beat them. We ended up going on and winning the gold medal. But that, my friends, as great as that was, not really a miracle. What is a miracle? Millions of people listen to the voice of George VI speaking to the venerable in the venerable Westminster Abbey in London as he took the vows of kingship and promised to uphold the law of the realm and defend the Protestant faith. No doubt many said to another that day, radio is a wonderful thing, isn't it? A miracle. What is the radio? You're hearing in Pittsburgh the voice of a man speaking in Westminster Abbey in London, a miracle? No, it is something that takes place by man's using and obeying in the strictest way the laws of nature, the atmosphere, electricity, call it what you please. Many of the things that are popularly spoken of as miracles are things done in strictest obedience to physical laws. What then is a miracle? Here is a good definition of it. Miracle is an event occurring in the natural world, observed by the senses, produced by divine power, without any adequate human or natural cause, the purpose of which is to reveal the will of God and to do good to man. A wonder such as the radio or wireless photography, however little the layman may be able to explain it, is an event occurring in the natural world and observed by the senses and produced by natural causes. Whereas the miracle is without natural cause and is produced in the power of God. So, when you hear the word miracle, think about that. Now, I do believe there are miracles that we often often go unobserved and un, un uh, with with gratitude not produced. As the Bible says in Jeremiah, it is of God's mercies that we are not consumed every day. You study science, you know that if the sun was like one degree warmer or just a little closer to the earth, we'd, we'd fry. If it was a little farther away, we'd freeze to death. God knew what He was doing. Then Peter proceeds to remind his listeners that because of Jesus' sacrifice, 
our sins can be gone. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 to 21. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the time of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So, Peter is saying, repent and be converted that you can have your sins taken away. When the Old Testament sacrifices took place, there was a temporary covering for sin. It'd be like if you uh, repainted a a room in your house. You just paint it over the old paint. You know, it, it would cover it for a while. But maybe after a number of years or whatever, it would bleed through. But even if it didn't bleed through, if you were ever to strip down that wall, you'd find every layer of print of paint that had ever been painted on that wall. When God takes our sin away by the power of Christ. People can scrape and scrape, so to speak, and they won't find it anywhere. God says, I've cast your sin far away as the east is from the west. And we know how far away that is. They don't meet. And I I just think about this... um, he shall send you as Christ, which before was preached unto you. Jesus is coming back. But he's saying he's in heaven until the earth is made right, until the time of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of the holy prophets since the world began. Remember we read in Romans that even the creation groans for the coming of the Lord. Even the creation knows that things aren't right. Trees die. Tree limbs fall. Animals die. Creation is not right. It deals with the fall every day. But there will be a restitution of all things. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. It's a promise that God made and He will keep. Peter just got done saying that all these promises that Jesus had made about dying and rising again, He thus fulfilled. And if He fulfilled those promises, then the promises of what's to come will be fulfilled as well. Paul said, For I am convinced that sufferings of this present world are nothing to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's an exciting passage for me. When I wake up in the morning and I'm feeling the pain of my physical body, when I'm dealing with different issues with insurance or with my equipment not working exactly right, I remember there will be a day when I won't need it. When I get to heaven, there will be no wheelchairs. 
There will be no canes. There will be no metal in people's backs. I'll be walking and weeping, praising God. After I get up off my face, I'm so looking forward to that. I'm going to see my grandpa. His birthday was yesterday. Celebrated it for the first time in heaven. I'm pretty sure he's there with his brothers and with my brother John. They're waiting for us. But before I see any of them, I want to see one who died for me. As Fanny Cosby said, I shall know him. I shall know him. By the prince. With nails in his hands. I'm looking forward to that. We look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. Revelation 1, 5 to 7. Again, if you get there, if you could read it, that would be awesome. So, he's coming. And for some people, that will be a time of great joy. It will be a time of great joy for me because I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. For some that we know, it won't be a time of great joy. It will be a time of great sorrow. For those right now who are Playing God in our government and believing that it is right to kill a baby after it's born alive, they're going to be called to account for that. Jesus said, if you cause even one of these little ones to suffer, it would be better for you if a millstone was put around your neck and you were cast into the midst of the sea. Sad day in America today. All of the major Democratic presidential candidates for 2020 
have come out with statements in favor of infanticide. That is anathema to Almighty God, and they will be called to account for it. Does that mean that they can't be forgiven? No. Because God forgave the Apostle Paul, who was a murderer, who hated the people of Christ, who was at the at the stoning of Stephen, who no doubt remembered it every day for the rest of his life. But he also said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And do you realize that the closer he got to God, the less worthy he felt. Because he said, first of all, I'm the least of all the apostles. And then at the end of his life, when he's writing to Timothy, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. And yet God's mercy prevails. In the laboratory of a great of the great chemist Faraday, a workman accidentally dropped a very valuable silver cup into a tank of strong acid. He and the other workmen stood over the tank mournfully, watching the quick disintegration of the cup. But Faraday, seeing what had happened, poured a chemical into the tank. Silver was precipitated to the bottom and recovered, and the shapeless mass was sent off again to the silversmith be refashioned into its former likeness. So the grace of repentance and of faith can recover what has been lost and restore it to its formal usefulness and beauty. You see, when God created the world, He created the world, a world in which He had perfect union with the man that He created. It says that God walked with them in the cool of the garden. And then they sinned and there was a wall put up But he even told them in Genesis chapter 3 that there will be a a time when the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. Because of that, that unity has been restored. As we talked about earlier, we were brought nigh by the blood of Jesus Cross. Just like that, that silver goblet that got dropped into the acid, perfect man was dropped into the acid of sin. But Paul says that our inward man is being renewed day after day. And that the goal of the Christian life is that we be conformed more and more to the image of His dear Son, Jesus Christ. That's what God's will is for us. As we finish, we read. Um, I just want to read Acts three twenty-two to twenty-six. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. 
Him ye shall hear, and all things whatsoever He shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our father saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindred of the world be blessed. Unto you first, God having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. What did Paul say? He said, the gospel has come first to the Jew and then to the Greek. The Jews largely rejected him. But he has opened the door for us. Remember, what did Jesus do when he was on the road to Emmaus? He says, from Moses and the prophets, he spoke every word concerning himself. The, the people in Jesus' day, they said, we, we, we follow Moses. And he said, if you really followed Moses, you would know me. Because Moses testified of me. And then he used the name that God gave Moses. Because Moses said, if the people won't believe me, who do I, <coughs> who do I say? Sent me to them. And God said, I am. Has sent me to you. We look at Jude. Jude verses 24 and 25. Okay. So it's God that's able to present us faultless before Jesus. It's through the power of Jesus that we're able to be presented faultless before the throne of God. Every one of us has faults. Every one of us knows the faults of the people that we love the most. But the ground is level at the foot of the cross. As that old song says, gone, gone, my sins are all gone. Because when Jesus, when God looks at me, He looks at me through the perfect righteousness of His Son. All through life, ever since they were classmates in college, Senator Toombs of, George, of Georgia and George Pierce were fast friends. The senator was an unconverted man and lived a godless life. He had, however, married an earnest Christian woman whom he regarded with feeling akin to veneration. One day while visiting his, him at his lovely home, Pierce opened a conversation with his friend on this wise. Something's going to happen after a while that will go mighty hard with you, Tombs. What's that? asked the senator. You and your much-loved wife will be separated. She's going to heaven and you will go to hell. No, that can't be. 
Yes, it can be, and it will be, unless you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You will be separated from her forever. Toombs was silent for a few minutes, and then he said, <laughs> George, I can't stand that. I never could stand such a thing. The conversation resulted in the senator's conversion. As a guilty sinner, he knelt at the Savior's feet, entreated him for pardon, and henceforth walked hand in hand with his wife as a companion of her in this Christian life. It is a terrible thought that amongst the readers of these lines, there may be two sisters or two brothers or two dear friends. It may be husband and wife who are traveling down the stream of life side by side, but who are going to be separated for all of eternity because one has been saved through the blood of Christ and the other spurns him and slights his gracious call. The ultimate separation is being separated from God. And it's times like these when I read truths like that that I'm thankful that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, but is patient to us word. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He knows who the last person to come to repentance is before He comes again. There are many in my life that I want choose life have not yet and it grieves my heart and it puts at least a little bit of um, apprehension into the thought of Jesus returning now my biggest thing is I have to remember that I can't be their Holy Spirit only the true Holy Spirit that comes from God can do the life-changing work in their lives. But I know that He is real. I know that His work is real. And I've seen it transform people. And I'm here to tell you right now, if you have not yet trusted Jesus Christ, do it today. It will be the best thing you ever do. I'm not saying life will all of a sudden be the be peaches and cream. I'm not saying that your walk will be totally clear. But what I am saying is He will walk with you through all of life's difficulties. He's seen me on this journey sustain me through my physical limitations. He's helped me weather the storm of losing a brother. He helped me when my, my grandpa passed away. All those things are bad things. They didn't, my faith in Christ didn't stop them from happening. God is faithful. And he will remain so because his promises, unlike ours, are yes and amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, your word. 
thank you for this sermon that Peter preached in the book of Acts. We thank you that you turned a coward into a hero. We know that because you did that for Peter, you can do that for us. Lord, we pray that we would uh, take these truths that we've heard and that we would apply them. Pray that we would be bold when we have a success and when we have a platform to share why we have been given that success, that we would say it's because of Jesus and Him alone that I have what I have. As Paul said, by God's grace, I am who I am. We thank you for that grace. We look for your soon coming. May we be faithful until then. In Jesus' name.